0: We're moving on now to Mike Treen, my, uh, Mike who actually has been the, is the national director of Unite Union and has been a campaigner against war and for economic and social justice since he was in high school, which not to make any judgments, but I think that's a long time. So, <laughs> uh, I want to address a sort of a try to get to a sort of a big question problem, which is that clearly the the system is breaking down. Right? What is that system that is breaking down? And can we do a system reset by tinkering with the system? Or is a more fundamental change necessary? And what is the nature of that change? And how do we begin? All in 10 minutes, of course. we went through a big crisis in this system which has a name called capitalism in the 30s and through World War II and then we had three decades of seemingly uninterrupted growth and the appearance that each decade things would get better generally you know that generally inequality would be muted that jobs generally would be guaranteed that health care generally would be extended that education generally would be getting more accessible, three decades, and it seemed like sort of, and 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 people get their rights a little bit better, you know, for women, for mulri, for gay people. That would get a little bit better, a little bit better each decade, and then we, we then we entered a period of crisis in the late 1970s and in the 1980s, and there was a reset done to the system. And the system, since there, has not been able to deliver in the same way. In fact, for a generation now, things have actually got worse. Our living standards and real wages and housing is worse than it was a generation ago. This system no longer works. This system no longer can deliver improvements decade after decade, generation after generation. This system is breaking down. It is not the pandemic alone that is doing that. The system has inner cycles and laws that were setting the stage for a new crisis before the pandemic hit. So we had the decade of the we had the decades of, the decade of the 90s of relative sort of strong growth as you recovered again from a crisis because normally you have a crisis in the system it goes down and then it bounces back and that's the way capitalism has worked for almost 200 years every, every decade it bounces it up and the, and the system though the revolutionary part of capitalism was that the upturns generally were stronger than the downturns. Overall, there is a, this is a system of growth. Overall, this is a system of improving productivity. Overall, this is a, a system that does improve wealth generally in the society. The distribution of that wealth is another question, but that's what it did. But now we have, not only did we have the system unable to generate the wealth that's uh, necessary to people to be able to live well, Or it is generating the wealth, but it's being captured by a smaller and smaller percentage of the society. And therefore, it can't be distributed because they are are holding on to it. Um, But the growth that is is endemic to the system, its revolutionary character, has become a threat to the planet. Because you have 3% growth every year for 30 years, and you double the system. So they double the system. Has doubled in size. Every 30 years it's doubled in size. We cannot double the size of an extractive exploitative system. Every 30 years the planet cannot sustain it. So the system has become incompatible with the life of the planet. This system, which has a name, capitalism has become incompatible with the life of the planet. So we need to devise measures that transition beyond the system. They don't tinker with it. And whilst I have been very pleased with many of the Green Party's, for example, whilst I have been impressed by many of the Green Party's policies uh, in the, uh, over the recent weeks and months with, with, with due with the climate and addressing poverty, there is a fun, I think there is a fundamental problem. And what the government is doing is relying on a system toy, a a mechanism that toys with the system. the 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 emissions trading system, which is trying to use prices to signal signal people to do the right thing. Well, no, they don't want to do the right thing, and they're not going to. You're not going to see. You're not going to. You're not going to trick them into doing the right thing. You have to force them into doing the right thing in a more direct manner. So I've got a sort of a five, five, five six point program. Went through before, which I think are the most important and urgent things that we need to do. Uh, don't necessarily require system change for most of them, but, uh, but it can get us moving in the right direction, because we've also got to begin with empowering people, right? We can't do anything without empowering people, empowering unions, empowering communities at the very bottom. We've got to begin there. How do we empower these communities? How do we empower unions? How do we empower organizations in all of these fields who are wanting to do the right thing? How do we make them stronger and able to empower citizens? Right? And so we begin with jobs for all. The jobs for all, it used to be an obli- almost an obligation on the government that everyone had a job. Right. Where I grew up, right? Any time, any time unemployment ticked up above one or two percent, the government intervened. The railway started employing another five or ten thousand people. They just did it. Every railway workshop in the country was a working- class university. You went there, you knocked on the door and you got a job. Very soon you were an electrician or a plumber or a bloody or just a worker, but you could get a job. And yes, New Zealand Rail lost 200 million a year, but say the fuck what. <laughs> we had every working, yeah, every significant working-class community had its little working-class university, where people could get jobs and get training, and we should be able to do that again. We should be able to, we should be able to put the pieces back together to do that sort of thing again. So, yes, jobs for all. And jobs where, where we begin with jobs where the community does an audit. Every community we ask do an audit of your needs, cultural needs, social needs, health needs, uh, 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 connection needs, food. Can you produce food? Can you cook food? Can you share the resources? Can you produce energy? Can you share this energy? Every community, do an audit of the community, what are your needs? And the central government's job is to deliver so that those communities can solve their own problems from the grassroots up, not from the, not from the top down. So jobs for all, resource the communities to do it. A living wage for all, just a basic. Everyone, everyone, living wage for every single person. Uh, and coincidentally, that's sort of the, you know, the minimum wage the official policy of Labour and the Greens and the C- CTU is that the, the minimum wage should be two-thirds of the average wage, which is sort of the living wage, and that makes sense. But the government should be doing You see, the government says it supports the living wage, right? Does it tell the companies it owns they should do that? New Zealand Post. Does New Zealand Post 100% owned by the New Zealand government a living wage? No. It does not. So it's not just the contractors. Does the... Do the... Does... Who the hell owns the health boards? Do the health boards give a living wage for all their staff? No, they do not. Do they rob them of their annual leave entitlement? Yes, they do, since they owe them six hundred and fifty billion dollars of annual leave entitlement. But you know, do they deliver them a living wage? Does the government fund them to allow them to do that? No, it does not. The government if it supports a living wage for all, must fund those pe- those institutions, so not just the contractors, but also the companies and the institutions uh, that they control living wage for all. Income support, uh, that people have spoken to, but also housing as of right. <clears throat> we used to, housing again used to be something that, uh, I grew up in in, uh, in, in Pamua and in GI and the state housing communities in, in, in Montreal and so on. That's and you moved from house to house, right? You you had a home for life, they couldn't throw you out of it. They could have, they couldn't evict you. Didn't matter what your income was, if you got one, you got one for all your life. You could swap, you could change your suburbs, you could move, people be, might be surprised, but you know you can move to go to a different suburb if you wanted to. Uh, through the and and I lived in a safe house my entire life until I until I left school. It never occurred to me that I would want to. house. why would you want to buy a house? That seemed an extraordinarily stupid thing to do. I eventually, eventually I did, sort of in a sense because the system forced me to do it. Right? We stopped creating communities. You see. When they built when they built PAMU and GI, they didn't build a slum. They built a working class community. Everyone had jobs. Everyone had work, you had your workingmen clubs. You had your party, your labour parties or whatever. You had your you, you had your, your, your unions. You and cl- unions very important. All all these working class communities uh, 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 were created, and they and it wasn't something. Housing wasn't something that only the desperately poor or refugee got, right? And you create a system where only the desperately poor or the refugee gets, and you create a system based on resentments. Oh, they're getting it. I'm I'm living in a garage. Why can't they? You're right. You're living in a garage, and you do have a right to a home. And the government should begin by building, it should be doing. The minimum 10,000 social homes every year until we eliminate (laughs) homelessness and poverty and everything else in this country. We have 300,000 temporary migrants in New Zealand, right? We are not going and cannot deport 300,000 people, right? Probably half of those people, there's a whole bunch of students and so on, at least half of them. Are, no, are what the Minister of Immigration calls normally resident New Zealanders. That is, they've renewed their visa again and again. Their children have been born, going to school here. They maybe have partners. They have never been allowed to... Tr- to pr- they've been brought in and on these recycled temporary visas that are not essential skills, not... Well, they are essential skills, but not important enough to be able to transition to permanent resident. They were brought here on a lie. Deception, they've been been billed and cheated out of tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees that they did for their courses, fees they've given to Immigration New Zealand. They have been cheated and lied to, and they deserve to be transitioned to permanent residence immediately if they want to. (laughs) They have made this country their home, and and we have to allow them to stay if they want to. Um, And we cannot cannot throw them out. So we're empowered to be empowered. Now, the final thing is, we have created a system, we have created a, we created a see, capitalism is a system of commodity production for profit, right? And they try to impose those system values on everything else. They try to impose it on education and health. They try to impose it, you know, on the post office, on in new Zealand, on Kiwi Rail, on, on public services like, like uh, uh, transport and so on, right? So they, they in fact, the law, you have to, rip people off and seek to make a profit like that power company recently you know which is just an extraordinarily cheating and sort of uh, <laughs> uh, like you know just like yeah, because it's a they're sort of the law it's they've got to make a profit that's they're going to sell commodities it's a law right we've got to change we've got to decommodify things more and more right we've got to we're going to decommodify the sectors of education that have commodified, like the early childcare sector. We're going to decommodify the health sectors that have been like the aged care. Who said who, who decided the aged care was going to be a for-profit damn business? Right? Who decided nobody, no, no sane person in this country would make that decision, except it's been allowed to happen. Child early education and the care of aged. Completely nuts. So we've got to de- move to decommodify things more and more. So we don't need McDonald's, so to represent a 1,000 McDonald's works. <laughs> you know what I mean, we don't. We, when we support, if we're supporting businesses, then we need to, and so on, through this period of crisis, which will often happen, we've got to look to how we can do things differently, how we can produce food and feed ourselves differently how we can produce housing and house ourselves, how we can do the health care. We've got to be able to do all of it differently, not based on the pursuit of profit and selfish needs, but on basis of solidarity and support for one another. Kia ora. Tēnā koe. Tēnā koe te manu (laughs) Kia ora. Is that a man who's been in the union for many years, or is that a man who's been in the union for many years? Yeah, we have to go forward in the future by knowing our past, right? Yeah, kia ora.